Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought, the dead who are already dead are more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. (laughs) Next one, Jet. (laughs) Better is a handful of quietness than two handfuls of toil and a striving after the wind. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. I praise you for your words as they have been spoken today. And Lord, as we, as we seek to know you more, as we seek to, to become a people who are striving not after the wind, but Lord, we're striving after you. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts in, in great big ways today, that you would change us, that you would send us forth as a church that is on fire. Lord, I thank you for your worship that has been in this place thus far for the, for the, the time of, of learning during our Sunday school classes. And, and Lord, as we open your word, as, Lord, as you speak to our hearts today, would you please change and rearrange what is, what is not correct. Help us just to follow after you in your most holy name. Amen. Amen. Uh, <laughs> I, I kind of had to just go to the screens this morning. My contacts clouded over last minute, and we have a lighting issue here on stage. It's really hard for me to see up here. Uh, hopefully, before long, we're going to have some great lights up here, and I can be able to see great. <laughs> but as we're here this morning, and I, I, we're continuing on with this this idea of of the condition of this world, the the things that are going on in this world. And, and what we see in this first section of chapter 4 is this idea that it's really hard. No, it's impossible to find justice in this world. And the writer talks about that even in places where justice should happen, he sees people oppressed. How many of you have ever noticed that this world has a lot of oppression in it? It's everywhere, isn't it? Uh, the, the oppressed uh, people in this world uh, are existing today in a broken world. And, and as hard as we try, there are always going to be oppressed people in this current state. In this place that we live, there will always be oppressed people. There's never going to be uh, you know, a perfection in this world. I think it speaks to um, the, the, the brokenness of, of what we live in. The truth of the matter is, is that the only place that we're going to find justice is in Christ Jesus himself. Does everybody hear that this morning? Justice only comes through knowing God, through Christ Jesus. Now look at the the judicial systems, you know, and and, and there's a lot of talk of oppression today, isn't there, in in politics and stuff of that nature. we, We hear the... Uh, the ideas of social justice and things of that nature. This has existed for a long time, ever since um, uh, 
that, the Garden of Eden, really. But when you think about the two first brothers, one oppressed the other, did he not? He oppressed him so much that he impressed his head with a rock. Uh, this the idea of oppression has always has been around since sin has existed in our, in our world. And so what we need to understand as we're reading through this this morning is that justice, we should be seeking justice and we should be having compassion on people as the church, amen. But the idea that, that we don't need to get down and out about the way things are going in this world because we have a God who's going to fix everything at some point in the future. God is a God of righteousness. He is a God of redemption. And so our hope is in Him. Our hope is not in, in political systems. Our hope is not in, in, in movements. Our hope is not in, in even denominations. Our hope is in God and God alone. Amen? And so knowing that, and, and I'm glad that, you know, here's the cool thing. Uh, we live in the United States of America, right? I would argue that it's the greatest nation in the world. And one reason, I, what I love about America is this idea that we have freedom of speech. We have freedom of religion. We have these things. One of the neat things about being an American is I can vote what my voice does have a say in, in, in who is in power and things of that nature. Amen? And so as a church today, understand we, we have this opportunity to, to make our society better. We have this opportunity to make America a better place. But never forget that this world is broken and there will always be oppression until Christ returns. Until our, until our Lord returns, that's, that's when everything will change. But, but in, in the meantime, what is the game plan? Well, the game plan is that you and I need to be getting closer to Christ. The way we get closer to Christ, and this is basic stuff, right? But the way that we get closer to Christ is we get into the Word of God. How many of you have a Bible? Right? How, how many of you would consider yourself a Bible-believing Christian? If I was to ask that in, in any given church in America today, most churches, now there's some of them that are going the other direction as far as the inerrancy of the Word of God, but it, for most churches, if I was to ask, uh, are, are you a Bible-believing Christian? Most people are going to say, amen. Well, that's good. It's a good start. But really what we need to be in America today is we need to be Bible-applying Christians. Don't just believe it, but you need to read it and apply it. That We must understand the very point that our faith doesn't grow because we sit in church or we vote or we do this or we do that. Our faith grows when we get into the Word of God. Well, Daniel, you say that a whole lot from the pulpit. You bet I do because this is the core. This is the key. This is exactly what every believer needs to implant into their own lives is this idea that I read the Bible, I read it consistently, I study it, and then I apply it. We need to be that church. That we put the Word of God first. We also, we are a group, we're a church that, that we practice prayer. We prayed several times already this morning. You probably prayed in your Sunday school class. And I know a whole lot of y'all prayed when you got up this morning. We need to be a people of prayer. And finally, we need to be a people who, who associate with other Christians. We need each other. And some people say, well, we don't need the church. I, I, I saw... A, a post recently, uh, some people were talking about the reason they don't go to church. 
And honestly, I wanted to reply, but I didn't. But, but here's the thing. I mean, if we're going to be so judgmental on churches, I mean, for me, when I think about it, well, some people say, well, I don't go to church because there's hypocrites or because of some people that go to church. You know what that's like? That's like not going to the doctor because there's sick people in the waiting room. Honestly, when you go to church, you ought to find hypocrites there. When you go to church, you ought to find people who aren't all put together yet. Because the truth of the matter is, is we are all people who need a Savior. You know, this kind of goes back to this thought, and we talked a little bit about it last week. You know, some people really think that, there are, that, that mankind is, ultimately, we're good, right? The Bible teaches exactly opposite of that. We're not good, that we are depraved. It's not my rant. It's not Daniel's personal belief system that I've come up with, right? This is the Word of God I'm speaking to you today. That, that when Jesus spoke, you know, and we, we ended our sermon last week with the, uh, when Jesus was talking to the rich young ruler, and the rich young ruler, what did he say to Jesus? Good teacher. Good rabbi. And Jesus, before he answers any other questions, he says, why do you call me good? Well, we know that as far as mankind goes, none of us are good, that we need a good God. If, if you and I were good enough, then we wouldn't even need to be sitting in church. And I would venture to say that most people that don't go to church, it's not because of the hypocrites within the church. It's because they find themselves good enough where they're at in that moment. I know a lot of y'all are just, y'all are just powerhouses for the gospel. And you are here this morning because you know that you are not good enough. Am I right? You know that without a doubt, without Christ in your life, then there's no hope. But with Christ, there is that hope. And, and someday, just like the world is suffering from oppression today, someday God is going to redeem every single bit of this. God's going to redeem it all. This section, it looks at this, this situation of justice without hope. If we were to look at the world today and just say, man, where's the hope in all of this? Do you remember back in the 80s, the, one of the big, it was almost political too, but you remember um, uh, we used to talk about the, the starving kids in Africa so much, right? And now you just don't really hear about it, but honestly, there are still kids in Africa who are starving, right? Still going on. Uh, my, my time that I spent in, on the mission field and in the, in the in the Navajo reservation, there was, you know, alcoholism was huge. I think the average age of a Navajo male was like 28. 28 years old. The average age. And it wasn't because of, you know, sickness necessarily. It wasn't because of, of, of whatever. The reason that they were dying off is because of alcoholism. And you know what? It's still there. You, you got a whole uh, group of people who suffer and are oppressed in a lot of ways, it's still there. How about, how about disease? How many of us have, have noticed that cancer is still here? Cancer was here in the 80s, and cancer is still here now. I, I don't mean to, to mention all of this today to, to bum you out. I don't, I don't want you to leave here saying, man, what's going on? But rather, I want you to, to stop for a moment and understand that your only hope is in Christ Jesus, your Lord. That's your only hope. If the Lord tarries and we are in this 
this congregation, in this sanctuary, in this house, 20 years from now, you know what we're going to find? We're still going to find oppression in this world today. And the writer here, as he's writing this, I know he's down and out. He's kind of writing this depressing, um, this, this, this depressing piece of work here. He's, you know, again, this, this idea of vanity of vanities, and he's, he's just down and out about life in general. But when you're looking through here, even in his writing, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we know the answer while we're reading it, don't we? When he's talking about this, this idea that, you know, the people are oppressed, I know people are oppressed, but I also know that Jesus can set them free. He goes on a little bit later in the chapter, and he's talking about this idea of, of um, you know, working again, of being a person who works, and it's kind of, what's the point in working? And all the employees say... <laughs> Amen. You work, you get a check, the check's gone, and that's it. But the thing is, is that in all of this brokenness, in all of this stuff that's in the world, whether we're talking about, you know, racial things, whether we're talking about cultural things, whether we're talking about church things, what we need to understand today is that Christ is the answer. When Jesus stated that I am the way, the truth, and the life, it's exactly what he meant. He was, he was trying to point people to the way that they needed to go. The writer states that, and this is interesting, one of the verses it talks about um, there, I think it's verse, verse 3, it talks about how the, the dead and the unborn are, are better than you and I are. You ever thought about that? The, the dead. And understand, I, I really think that probably Solomon in all of his wisdom, he didn't totally understand the afterlife at this point. We know that Jesus wasn't revealed, that, that Messiah hadn't been revealed. He knew it was coming, but he didn't have a full picture of, as to what happens after you die. But he talks about the dead. He talks about those who were never born, that they're better off. Because they never have to see all the, the terribleness of this world. Some of the wording he uses here is interesting. He says that the dead who were already dead are better off. Did you guys catch that? The dead who, is he talking about zombies here? The dead who were already dead. I really think what he's talking about is people who just don't have a clue. But when I'm reading this, I think this is written by the wisest man who ever lived. And he's thinking about people out here who just really don't consider the things of this world. They just kind of, they clock in, clock out, and go home. That's their life. They don't ever contemplate anything bigger than what they're in in the moment. And those people, he says, they're better off because they're just not, they just don't know any better. But the thing is, is that you and I do know better, right? We know that there's more to clocking in and clocking out. There's more than just coming to church every week, sitting in a pew. I get up here and preach a little bit. You guys laugh because I'm hilarious or whatever, right? You know, and then you, I'm just kidding. But you get up. Nobody laughed at that either. Okay. So you guys, you know, we, we're in here. You, we say amen and then you walk out the door and then you might come back next week or whatever. It's more than that though, isn't it? The, the Christian walk is more than just coming to church. The Christian walk is seeing people who are sick walk out of a hospital and they're no longer sick because of prayer. The, 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 the walk of the Christian, we, we see things like that. We, we, we see marriages that are, that are healed. We see, we see people who didn't know Jesus, now they do, and now they're going to heaven. That's That's huge. 
that what we're doing on Wednesday nights, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a kids program, and we can kind of just look at it as such, and we think, well, it's just kids stuff. No, it's not just kids stuff. We're reaching families. We're reaching a community through these young kids. Jesus, when he talked about kids, he didn't downplay kids, did he? He said we need to be like a child. We need to come to him like a child. It's that childlike faith that we're just hearing. These, these kids that are hearing the gospel, they're taking it with them. They're taking it with them. The, the, the truth that, they'll, that, the, that they will be learning in this place will be taken with them for the rest of their life. Yeah, I've been in ministry long enough, and I've, you know, I've, seen, I've seen kids who were going to church here who, you know, some almost 20 years later, you know where they turn when they need help? They turn to Christ. That's because they were taught early on. So what we're doing is, is, is perfect. We're not living in oppression, but rather we're showing people restoration. We're showing people who Jesus is. And this world, it's broken. It is. This world is it's a terrible thing. If you, if you, if you want to get, uh, if you want to be happy, quit watching the news. <laughs> There's a couple here. They, they're going to go sit on a beach this week, and I'm terribly, terribly jealous of them. And I'm not supposed to be jealous, but I am. But, but we were talking, and, you know, you can make these big plans, and then a hurricane comes in, right? Isn't that life? I like, Jimmy, I like what you said, though. Well, if a hurricane hits, then we're right where we need to be. We can help people. I was like, I love that. And honestly, that's a good way to look at life in general, that no matter what storms come our way, some of y'all are like, man, I'm just so glad for this political season to be over. How many of y'all are ready for the political season to be over? Yeah, amen. Okay, most people are. Some of you are like, no, I love this. That's cool, all right? That's America. That's why we're, that's why we're blessed. But for a lot of people, we're just like, we can't wait for it to be over. Because the thing is, is it doesn't matter what happens in November. Christ is still in power. It doesn't matter. Nero himself could rise from the dead, become the emperor of the United States of America, and we'd still be okay. Now, I know a lot of y'all, man, we're fighting the good fight, we think, when it comes to politics. But what I want you to understand is that God is in control. And, and setting spirituality aside, I really think that a lot of the people that are, you know, running for offices or maybe even currently in office, however you feel, we could be doing a lot worse than we really are in America today. If you've ever been to a third world country. Have you ever lived in North Korea? Because, I mean, that, if, if we were facing North Korea-type stuff, I'd be like, yeah, we should be a little bit more worried. Be worried, by the way. You know, be concerned. Be, be an informed voter. I'm not saying that. But things could be a lot worse. And besides all of that, besides the politics, besides maybe how your football team did yesterday, Besides how, uh, how long you're going to have to wait in line for lunch today, besides all of this kind of stuff, understand that Jesus is still the king. Are you trusting him? What, what are you trusting today? Is it, is it Christ or is it, is it other things? Uh, I, I really think that our, our mentality, the way that we, we think, is important. You know, Paul talks about it, that we need to have the mind of Christ, Right? Now, understand, I'm not talking positive talk today. There's a lot of preachers that say, well, you need, to, you need to think good about yourself. No, you need to think bad about yourself, but good about God and trust on Him. 
But having the mind of Christ, we don't have the mind of Daniel. (laughs) You don't have the mind of, insert your name here. We have the mind of Christ. When you have the mind of Christ, you're able to approach this life in the right manner. In our perspective, everything, man, it all matters about perspective. Adrian Rogers talked about a woman who he had in his church who had been married four times. She, she, throughout her life, she'd married four people. The, the first guy that she married was a banker. The second one was a doctor. The third one was a preacher. And the fourth, fourth one was an undertaker. And he was trying to make sense of it, right? And he said, well, the only thing I could figure is that she married one for the money, one for the show, two to get ready, <laughs> four to go, right? <laughs> okay. You guys are like, that's terrible. That is. I'm going to like edit that out and just throw it out. I'm, I'm not going to have it there for, for the people out there listening. But understand that, that perspective in life, right? I, I think a lot of times we do marry people so that we can have the money or the show or the... I'll stop. We, we, we have friendships because of that. We go to church for those kinds of reasons, don't we? We've seen people, uh, you've been here for any amount of time, we have some people that will show up and they're good for a while and then they leave because they get offended or the programming's not for them. But the last time I checked, the reason we go to church is not so that we're happy. We go to church so that he is happy. And so I don't feel bad for saying that because I understand some of these people may be listening or they may hear or you may go and tell them and that's fine. Because the truth of the matter is, is that the reason we're here is to bring glory to God. Honestly, I could care less whether you like me or not. But what I do care about is that you love Jesus and that he's your king. That's what I care about. That, that's the overall thing. That's, that's exactly what I care about. It's that idea of perspective, right? And if you don't like me, then here's the thing. Here's what I want to say. You have to spend eternity me if you're a Christian. Ha, ha, ha. Because that's where I'm going. I hope that's where you're going. But this idea that the dead who were already dead, these people that were just kind of walking around not thinking, he was saying they're better off. He says the people that have died and went on, wherever they went, they're better off. The people that haven't even been born yet, those people are better off. This negative picture here. But yet... Through all of this, guys, we get this call to action in verses 4 through 16. He mentions some stuff, and I'm not going to read all of this today. I hope you go home and study it a little bit more. But there's, in his, his despair, in his writing, there's some, some wisdom that even comes out. In verse 5, he talks about people who fold their hands are fools. There's some wisdom that comes out here. We do live in a nation where we kind of feel like, man, we're entitled to this, Right? There's a, there's a whole like movement in America today where people feel like they're entitled to things. We're entitled to this. We, we deserve this. We des- the, honestly, I, you know, I, it's in my mind, I'm like, yeah, that'd be great that we could pay for everyone's health care. It'd be great if, if everyone could just have a check every month. It'd be great if this, that, or the other. But the truth of the matter is, is this world is not perfect. And so as a Christian, my focus is not on what I'm entitled to. My focus, again, is upon Jesus. And and in the meantime, what's the call for a Christian? Get your hands busy and get to work. Get your hands busy and get to work. Don't don't be the fool who just sets back and feels that you have an entitlement. Well, Daniel, you're talking politics. Okay. 
let's get off of that for a moment. How about the church? How many people within the church come to church to be entertained? How many people come to church in order to feel better about themselves? How many people in the church feel that this, this, and this needs to happen, but yet they never put anything into it? That's, those are tough words, Daniel. Yep. But if you want to do just like a, a little soul check to see kind of where you're at, what do you give money-wise to the ministry? What do you give time-wise to the ministry? What do you give prayer-wise to the ministry? Do you really pray for your pastor? Do you really pray for your deacons? Do you really pray for your teachers? Do you really pray for that? Do you really give money? You know, I, we talked about this last week. And I don't talk a lot about money because I really don't feel like I need to. I think if, if people's hearts are right with God, God's going to lead them to give what they need to give. I believe that. But at the same time, there's a lot of us that when we're asked to give or they pass the offering plate or whatever happens, however it's going on, there's a lot of people that will second guess whether they want to give back to God or not. And that's the silliest thing ever. There's a lot of times where when we're, we, we purpose to give something to God, God just makes it happen. It's God's money anyways, isn't it? God's in control. God has blessed you with that money. And so when, when God has a, an opportunity for us to, to, to give, then we should give. I've seen it time and time again. You know, we, uh, Joni and I, we've, we went and we're, we're going to purpose to, you know, to give to this ministry or to, 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 to buy this uh, within the church or something like that. And then we show up and like <laughs> that, that TV wasn't $200 anymore. Now it's $149, you know. Who did that? It wasn't Sam Walton, by the way, okay. I love Sam's, but... I really believe God, Joni, I believe he, uh, he said, all right, here's your TV for $149. Now, okay, you got $51 to spend somewhere else in the ministry now. God is ultimately in control is my point. Your time, your efforts, your talents. Aren't you glad we have people that get up here and sing worship every Sunday? That's wonderful. Aren't you glad that there's men who like to preach the gospel? There's, there's men and women who like to teach the gospel in classes. Aren't you glad that there are people who like to clean up? <laughs> Aren't you glad that there's people who like to go and knock on doors and visit with people? That's, that's the church. But that doesn't happen if we live in this idea that we're oppressed and we need to be entitled to things. I asked the question last week, if God was asking you right now to move to Africa, how many of us would say, all right, Lord, I'm going. Most of us would be like, you're crazy. But the truth of the matter is we should be walking so close to God that if he was to call us, we just do it. We just go. We just go. My uh, little Jaren, I'll be walk, we'll be walking along. We went to, went to the park yesterday, and uh, I would just say, hey, Jaren, let's go over here and play on this slide. You know what he does? Well, sometimes he runs the other way, but most of the time, he, he would go with us because he's like, oh, this is exciting. I just trust Dad. Dad sounds excited. I'm going to go with him. Why aren't we that way when it comes to God calling us? We know there's a call from God, don't we? We know we probably are, are better at, at figuring our lives out than a lot of people in this world. And we don't need to be people who are just folding our hands and just being lazy. Church, it's time that we rise up and do the work of the gospel. Now's the time. What does that look like, Daniel? Well, tonight we're going to be putting in new toilets. How many of y'all want to come do that? 
I understand we don't need like 50 people, 60 people putting a toilet in. That'll get kind of weird too. But that needs to happen. We need to have people that do that. We may need people to, to sling a paintbrush, clean a closet out. That stuff doesn't happen if everybody's just saying, well, other people can clean this church. Other people can work. That's silly, Daniel. Yeah, it is. What about, what about your neighbors? What about the people in your community who don't know Christ? That's Daniel's job. We, we, you know, we, we pay people within our church to go. At, you know, those youth in our community, that's Josh's job to go and to save every one of them. Did you hear that, Josh? <laughs> but a lot of people view that. They're like, well, that's Josh's job. That's Daniel's job. That's the deacon's job. Honestly, if God's placed it on your heart, that's your job. That's your job. We can all proclaim the gospel. Paul says that the, the power of the gospel is like, basically, it's on our tongue. It's in our heart. It's on our tongue. You can just, you can share it right then and there. You don't have to have a, you know, a three-point sermon every time you lead someone to Christ or witness to them. You can just tell them who Jesus is and what he's done in your life. And so we don't need to be, spiritually speaking, people, fools, who are folding our hands and just expecting an entitlement. Verse 6, he talks about the blessing of a quiet nature. That it's good to be quiet. <laughs> he's, oh, there it is. Better is a handful of quietness than two handfuls of toil and striving after the wind. Sometimes it's good just to shut your mouth and just be there for people. Sometimes it's good to, and I really think what he's talking about there is not arguing with people. It's really easy to argue with people in this day and age. You know, I, I'm amazed. Um, I'm amazed even in, in, uh, among pastors, instead of them just getting together and glorying in the Word of God, they want to get together and debate. <laughs> I'm, just not, I'm just not that way, I guess, but I don't want to just argue with people. I, I want to I glory in Christ. I don't want to glory in my own thoughts, my own ideas necessarily. I, I want to come together and just glory in who Christ is. But the blessing of a quiet nature is a good thing. Honestly, we need to be people who listen to others so that we can show them the gospel. Verses, uh, verse 9 there goes on. It talks about that there are, uh, that two are better than one. I know a lot of people say, well, I mentioned it earlier that, hey, I don't need the church. There's a bunch of hypocrites there. You know what? As a Christian, you're stronger when you're around other Christians. It's not about being a club. Some churches are about being a club. I get that. But in a Christian fellowship, you're better with other Christians around you. It's not a club mentality. A lot of people get that idea. Or they, they, they say that. Well, it's, it's just a club. If your church is a club, then you're not proclaiming the gospel. See, we're better off together, aren't we? I know that when it comes to a fire call, it's always good. We, we had a, like a gas leak the other day, and it was good to see, you know, Trampus and Jimmy, it was good to see y'all walking up, because I was like, this could have been a bad deal. Turned out it was a pretty cut and dried type deal, but, but the thing is, is it could have been bad, and I'm glad that they were there. Spiritually speaking, within the context of the church, we need each other. Because here's the thing, you guys are going to be going into dangerous situations or, or hard situations, and it's good to have people to have your back. And not just because they're people, but because they're born-again people who are praying to God, who are reading the Bible, and who know Jesus. You need that in your life. 
The importance of the church is not that we have, you know, a club, that we have so many setting here, that we have this amount of money. God has blessed us in all those ways, but that's not the point in our church. The point in our fellowship here at First Baptist is that we are here to glorify God. And man, if it means I'm glorifying God because I'm lifting up a brother or sister, then that's what I'm going to be doing. When you and I as a church get that mentality in our head that we are here to help each other out too. And in helping each other out, it's not that, well, people will look at you and say, well, they're, they're just a, man, they're a good person or whatever. They're going to look at you and they're going to say, that person likes to bring glory to God because they led me to God. So two are better than one. That, that idea that a, that, that a, you know, a thicker cord, it's not, going, it's not easily broken if there's, if there's more than one. You guys know, all know the analogy, right? You know, if you just have like one strand of, of cord, it's easily broken. But if you wrap one or two or three or four, you know, when they build these suspension bridges, it's like hundreds of, of, these, of these twines put together. It's metal, of course. But it, when they wrap that together, it's so tight and it's so strong that you can drive a dump truck across it. And what I want to tell you today as, as the church of God, that as we come together and as we become people who are entwined in each other's lives, there's nothing that can break our church down because God is good. And He's good all the time. Amen. Two are better than one. Verse 13, he goes on there towards the end of the chapter. It's about prioritizing what matters. If I was to ask you what matters in your life, what would you say? I think a lot of people, if, if I was asked, what's the priority in your life? They're going to say, well, the priority of my life is my bank account. The priority of my life is what I drive. The priority of life is uh, what my kids do on the weekends. They're sports. They're this. They're that. That's my priority. Honestly, within the church, what ought to be the priority is living the gospel out. What what matters the most within our church is that, that we make sure, now you parents listen to me, the priority for you as a Christian is to share the gospel with your kid, to get your kid involved in church things so that they can know more about God. I look at Zabry, Zabry, she's got to go on a mission trip. That's because her parents pushed her that way, right? Kind of, but really the reason is because she chose it too, right? But the reason she chose it is because her parents said, hey, church is important. Okay. There was probably times maybe you were like, I don't want to go to church because Daniel's annoying sometimes. So I don't want to go to church today. But they forced her to go to church. And then Daniel just had this powerful word that just changed her forever, right? Well, maybe. But you see what I'm saying? That as parents, your job is to, is, is to push your kids, not in a bad way, but, but, but to encourage them to know Jesus. To encourage them to know Christ. What I found is I... I well, we got one that's still coming up. So, But the other two, you know, it wasn't like I pounded it in their head. We just, we just lived Christ in front of them. And then there was a time in their life where they said, you know what, I need Christ. It was beautiful. But you Christians, you need to, as parents, you need to be leading your, your children in that direction. Because do you really think the world is going to lead them in the right direction? More than likely, the influences in your children's life are not going to be the best. You know, my, my son, he goes to high school, and I, I know his friends probably aren't the best of examples to him. I always tell him, dude, do the right thing. Remember your name. Remember who you represent. And if you don't, I'm going to beat you, okay? 
I've said that before, actually. But, you know, but the, the truth of the matter is, is that is, is our kids are going to be in a world that's imperfect, that's broken, and so we have to prepare them now. We have to, we have to encourage them to understand that being with others is important. And that prioritizing what matters is important. If you would, turn to Matthew 28. We're going to wrap up with this. I, this is our call, guys. You know, this writer here, he's, he's bringing up these points. And, and, and even in his darkness, he has these, these, awesome, these awesome thoughts, these, these truths. We need to be busy. We, we need to, to, to watch what we say. We need to, to, to congregate with other believers so that we're stronger together. We need to be people that prioritize what's important. Which, by the way, if you're sitting here on a Sunday morning, that's great. It is. Does this save you? No. But it sure does get you closer to God. When you're hearing the Word of God, when, when it's, it's being spoken to you, and when you're studying it. When you're studying it. Because that is exactly where our faith comes from. Matthew 28, we see what Christ has to say. And there's some interesting points here that I think sometimes we, 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 we kind of skip over when we're talking about the Great Commission. But I, I was just reading, I wasn't even going to throw this in there, but this morning I was sitting in my office and I thought, man, I'm just going to read this. Matthew 28, look there. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Now, guys, when you hear that, how many of y'all, you could almost just recite that from memory? It's very familiar to, particularly, I know, within Southern Baptists, because we're Baptists and we like to baptize, right? <laughs> no, it's a command. It's not just in our name. It's what Christ has said to go make disciples and to baptize them and to disciple them. And to make them people who are going out and leading others to Christ. It's a, it's a job that God has placed before us. It's a call that he has placed before us. As we've been reading in Ecclesiastes, there's all this negativity in the world. There's all this oppression in the world. And all that really matters in this oppression is that you're worshiping the God who's bringing around restoration. Who's redeeming us. That's all that matters. Jesus, when he's, he's talking this last time with his disciples, and understand, it just says 11 disciples, right? Because one had just killed himself. We get this picture that these disciples were perfect people, right? One of them killed himself. He hung himself, it says. Well, there's 11 left, Daniel. There's 11 strong believers in Jesus Christ, and they go to this place. And they do go to this place. Kind of like we are. We're in this place today, aren't we? But Jesus told them to go to this mountain. I'm going to meet you there. So they go there to meet him. And it says that they worshipped him, but some doubted. You guys catch that? But some doubted. That's, 
It's rampant in Christian society that we doubt what God has called us to. Even from the very get-go here, the very elects, the 11, it says some doubt it. I don't know what some means. Does it mean 10 of them doubted? Does it mean one of them? They doubted, but they still worshipped. They doubted, but they still worshipped. Everybody catch that? I'm going to say it one more time. They doubted, but they were still worshipping. You may doubt exactly how things are going to work out in your life today, but what I want you to do is to keep worshiping Jesus. You, you may think that this is all a wash, that everything's just going to be terrible, that, that the election's going to be terrible, that football season's going to be terrible, that this, this life is going to end in a terrible way. You may be just like the writer in Ecclesiastes and say, vanity of vanities, but what I want to remind you today is, is that even in that current state of mind, you need to be a person who's worshiping Jesus. You need to worship Christ. Jesus told these guys to come. And man, we could, we could applaud them and we could pat them on the back and say, man, way to go. But even in that obedience, even in that time of worship, there were people that doubted. Well, how'd that turn out for them? What did that doubt do to them? Well, we know that those 11 men went out into the world and changed it. People who were imperfect, people who had doubts, people that... We're physically seeing Christ, right? They were looking at Jesus. They were worshiping Jesus. They, they, they understood who Jesus was, but even in their heart of hearts, they were doubting. They're like, man, I don't know how this is going to work out. Rome is a really big empire. I don't know how this is going to work out. My, my family thinks I'm crazy because I left my fishing business to do this to stand on a mountain and talk to a physical ghost, right? My, my family thinks I'm crazy. The, the Roman Empire, they're, they're looking for us to kill us, and we're supposed to take a message, but yet they're wanting to kill us? Man, my son, both of them like Westerns. Jaron likes to watch uh, Lonesome Dove and just boots and nothing else. <laughs> I got pictures to prove it. What 17-month-old likes to sit and watch Lonesome Dove? I just, that one does. But you know, in that movie, there's times when you got the bad guys oppressing you, right? Uh, there, there's, the, there's the scene in Lonesome Dove where, where Jake Spoon had kind of got in with the wrong crowd. And they're going around, and the people he, he's hanging around with are just killing folks for no reason. They know Gus and them, they find, they find him, and, and, and then they have to hang their friend, right? They have to hang their friend. But, but even in that moment, you see where Jake, he... Yeah, he's talking about times, and he understands, all right, yeah, you guys got to hang me because I'm a, I'm a horse thief and I'm a murderer. Which was kind of ironic because they, the whole show starts out by them running to Mexico and stealing horses. But anyways, that's another story. <laughs> it's okay to steal from Mexico, apparently, right? But in that, fi that final moment of Jake's life, he kicks the horse and runs, the horse runs out from under him, and he, you know, he does it himself. He doesn't make Gus do it. And one of the things that Gus says about Jake, he says, um, he died good, didn't he? <laughs> I think that's the exact words he says. He died good, didn't he? <laughs> he? 
you watch these westerns, and you, you see the good and the bad, and you see the kind of the hopelessness. And, and even in my mind, I'm like, why did they have to kill him? Couldn't they have just, like, beat him up or, you know, made him do this or do that? I mean, they, justice was justice, but, but was it really justice? You see what I'm saying? Like, when I look at this world, it, justice really isn't justice. A, a child molester can, can go to jail, but where's the justice for the little kid that still deals with the memories? A family can have someone that's taken from them through murder, and we can murder that person, but is there really justice in that? I always people say, well, justice was served. Was it really? Do you feel like justice is served when you're pulled over and given a speeding ticket? How many of you have ever said that? Well, justice was served. <laughs> Nobody says that. They're like, man, he could have given me a break. Justice was served. Guys, the truth of the matter is justice doesn't exist in this world apart from Christ. And the call of every believer is to prepare people to know Jesus so that they can experience true justice, redeeming justice, justice that will forever change their life. Justice that will give them a, a hope for a future. But it's not always easy, amen? Everybody say Amen. Timothy Keller, he says, um, talking about the gospel, he says the reason that marriage is so painful and yet wonderful. Everybody say amen. <laughs> it's painful and wonderful. The reason that marriage is so painful and wonderful is because it is a reflection of the gospel, which is painful and wonderful at once. Stay with me. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared believe. It's, it's this idea that we come to Christ as broken people. We, we come to Christ, and the, and the message of the gospel compels us to go to Christ, and we're so broken, and we're so sinful, and we're so without hope, but even in that moment that we accept Christ as our Savior, we have been never, ever, we've never been more loved. It's painful, and it's hard. I think when we look at Ecclesiastes, we compare the, the pain to the love of Jesus. It's painful, but it's beautiful. Church, the thing is, at the end of the day, what matters is that you have Christ in your life.